0: Bail it on Monday in Detroit. Trump is now admitting that he was wrong when he said yesterday he'd seen TV video of a U.S. cash payment going to Iran. He says the airplane was actually carrying hostages to Switzerland. Running mate Mike Pence says he agrees with Trump that the Republican Party has never been so united as are he and Trump.
1: Donald Trump and I are standing shoulder to shoulder to 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 say to the American people that that we can be strong again, we can be strong on the world stage again. We can stand with our allies and uh, stand up to uh, to those that threaten us. Mike
0: Pence on the Today Show this morning. The Olympic flame has arrived at Rio de Janeiro's most famous landmark, a massive statue of Christ the Redeemer. The flame will be used to light the Olympic cauldron at the opening ceremony tonight at Maracanã Stadium. Activists linked to the Black Lives Matter group blocked a roadway this morning leading to London's Heathrow Airport. Police took away several protesters who were lying in the roadway. This is AP Radio News. The mayor of Fairfax, Virginia, a wealthy Washington, D.C. suburb, has been arrested in a drugs-for-sex sting. Mayor R. Scott Silverthorne was arrested after meeting with undercover detectives at a hotel. Fairfax County Police Department Captain Jack Harden says they got a tip that the mayor may have been trading drugs for sex through a web- website. This website's sort of like a dating website where he meets other men, and um, it was alleged that the mayor was exchanging methamphetamines for in exchange for sex. Oklahoma game wardens have seized a mounted polar bear that had been on display at an airport in Tulsa. Authorities say the bear was legally killed years ago, but after the hunter died, his family members were able to track down the bear at the airport. Authorities say the person who had been in possession of the bear didn't have the proper paperwork for ownership. Rita Foley, AP, Radio News.
2: Now today's top federal headlines. Federal employees will know in three weeks how big a raise they'll get come January 1st. The Office of Personnel Management says President Obama has until August 31st to approve base pay raises. He's already proposed 1.6%, but OPM also asks managers to submit requests for raises in special hard-to-fill job classes. OPM is reminding agencies they have a few deadlines coming up for the Federal Cybersecurity Workforce Assessment Act. Their first deadline is coming up in December. They're supposed to look at how many cyber professionals have certifications and how many of their employees would be ready to take cyber certification exams. Years of colder winters puts a chill on a greener government. New numbers from the Energy Department show federal agencies failed to hit their goals for facility energy intensity. Heating buildings takes up half of the government's energy, says a department analyst, and since 2012, the number of days that needed heat has risen 24 percent. Find these stories and more at federalnewsradio.com. I'm Eric White. Has the upcoming
1: election got you worrying about your financial nest egg? Imagine what will happen to the economy if you know who, that is the candidate you don't like, wins. And it's guaranteed that he or she will win. This is Federal News Radio, senior correspondent Mike Causey. Lots of federal workers, active and retired, are nervous about the future of their Thrift Savings Plan nest eggs, especially now. For many people, the first problem is one of the candidates is going to be the next president. That is immediately followed by what will happen to the world, the nation, and the American and foreign stock markets. Both candidates have high negative ratings with the voters. So for many people, their gut is telling them to go safe with their TSP plan. Park their nest egg into something safe, like the G fund, until things settle down. But while instinct was good when we were dodging saber-toothed tigers, it's not always the best guide when managing a portfolio. What do you do? Sign up for my column at federalnewsradio.com slash alerts. I'm Mike Causey. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know.
3: From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you Inside the Issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling
4: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services, and today is Friday, August 5th. And this is our annual show where we invite the good folks from the EEOC's federal sector programs to talk about the training and outreach that they provide to the federal sector. And I'm delighted to have in studio with me Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC's Office of Federal Operations. Patricia is the Assistant Director of Federal Sector Programs Training and Outreach Division, and she is here to tell us about the EOC's upcoming Executive Leadership Training Conference that's um, going to be here next month in Washington, D.C. Uh, on September 19th and 20th at the Renaissance in downtown D.C. Good morning, Patricia, and thanks for spending some time with us.
5: Good oh, morning, Tony. Thanks for having me.
4: I should also, I want to let our listeners know that a little later in the show, we will be delighted to have, will be joined by one of our plenary speakers for the conference, renowned executive trainer and author, Jones Laughlin, who will be providing an overview of his latest instructional tool, which uses a fresh and practical blueprint called Always Growing, for managers and executives to take their leadership to the next level. This new approach to leadership is built on four words, grow, cultivate, prune, and harvest a more natural approach to leadership. So we can't wait to hear more, more about that. Um, just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's ltcfeds.com. So, Patricia, I want to uh, start the show. Um, I know we're going to um, spend most of the the hour talking about the the upcoming conference, um, but I'd like for you to, you know, introduce the EEOC to our listeners, um, and then particularly, you know, what what you all do at the Office of Federal Operations, your regulatory responsibility, as as well as um, the training and outreach um, you provide, because um, I really think it's important. Um, you know that people understand you know your important mission at the eoc it's it's funny I was getting ready for the for this radio show, and one of my younger employees said to me, What's the eoc and and I looked looked at her like you know astonished, but you know there are people out there you know that that don't know about the agency, so if you can introduce it for us, we'd appreciate it.
5: okay, great. I'll tell you whenever I have an opportunity to come and talk to folks about the work of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I always welcome that opportunity. Our vision is justice and equality in the workplace. And for those folks who are not familiar with what that means, it, it's a big, big undertaking for the commission. It really focuses in on employment law. And the laws that we enforce in the commission state that it makes it illegal to discriminate against a job applicant or an employee because of certain factors, such as their race, color, religion, sex. And sex includes things like pregnancy, gender identity, and sexual orientation. We also look at issues involving national origin, age, and disabilities as well. So last year the commission celebrated its 50th year. That's right, yeah. yeah. So we're a young agency in comparison to other federal agencies. So within our 50 years of existence, we have been growing and evolving. So as the laws change and as different things come up in the workplace, we really work to address those different issues for both private stakeholders and federal entities as well.
4: See, that's interesting because I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that. So last year was your 50-year anniversary, and then the year before that was the 50-year anniversary of the Civil Rights Act. Yep. Okay, I didn't realize that.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've got... Um, a lot more work to do in the what, area of employment discrimination. One of the,
4: the protected um, classifications that I always, you know, like to highlight um, is harassment claims. Um, you know, harassment because of one of those protected classifications you talked about. You know, harassment because of race, harassment. You know, what got it started? Right. Sexual harassment, harassment because of gender, and you know, you and I know because okay. we're lawyers. Um, Title Seven says nothing about um, harassment or sexual harassment, but when you talk about you know, all these fair employment laws, which is what right. this is, it's about inclusion in the workplace. And so if you're being treated in a certain way that doesn't want you to be part of that workforce, that's discrimination.
5: Right, right. And it's interesting you picked harassment because under our federal sector complement plan and our strategic enforcement plan, we're looking at harassment as one of the issues that we see that the commission is aggressively looking for ways to further expand outreach and education within the federal government, particularly harassment is the number one issue that we see as it relates to complaints and cases that come before the commission. So we do a lot in terms of education and outreach in that particular area.
4: right. and you see you see a lot of uh, you know and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you see a lot of um, calls that I take in my in my day job you know every day that people just generally complaining about you know harassment, just general harassment. Well, it needs to be harassment because of one of those protected reasons.
5: Right. It definitely has to fall into one of the many laws we cover, and it has to be from one of those protected bases, yeah. So,
4: so tell us more about, I guess, the organizational structure of the, of the EOC. You have commissioners, correct?
5: Right. We are a bipartisan organization. We have five persons. The chair currently is Chair Jenny Yang, and we have four commissioners that we have. And the four commissioners are Constance Barker, High Fell Bloom, Victoria Lipnick, and Charlotte Burroughs two republicans, two democrats. They are all appointed by President Obama and confirmed by the Congress. And we also have a general counsel and that particular group of persons really set the direction of the commission and how we're going to move and operate.
4: And I guess tell us a little bit about um, how the how the commission works. They have they have open meetings, right, public meetings.
5: We definitely have open meetings that are available to the public. If you go on our website on EOC.gov, we actually have a list of all of the different meetings that are open to the public, our various commission meetings. And our commission meetings will highlight some of the initiatives the commission is working on. Our most recent commission meeting focused on harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So
4: so from the from the from the headquarters commission level it's more of a sort of a policy based you know kind of approach message
5: Well within the headquarters in DC where we're located we actually have a field office there as well that's separate that handles the ca- cases within the DC area our headquarters the office of field programs office of federal operations we have the big overall structure in terms of how we go about disseminating information.
4: So that's what I to, want to get into, so you, so tell us, so the field offices, and we'll get into the federal sector stuff in, in just okay. a second, but just real quick, the, the field offices that are out there throughout the country, they're responsible for doing what?
5: The field offices, we actually have 53 field offices throughout the country, and they handle the complaint, the complaints of discrimination that come from private sector employees within the field and the process is just a little bit different and they actually call them charges. So what'll happen, persons will come to a specific field office and allege that they believe they've been discriminated against. And at that point the commission will take the charge and conduct an investigation and issue a determination whether they believe whether the commission believes discrimination has in fact occurred or not and if we believe that discrimination may have occurred we will work with the organization to reach a settlement if a settlement is not reached the commission may or may not decide to take the case to court depending on the policy issues at present
4: so let's so let's shift gears and tell us what the EOC does cuz they have a separate sort of component for for the federal government all the federal agencies and how and how you all operate within what's called what I call OFO, which stands for the Office of Federal Operations. Tell us about that, the responsibility of those offices.
5: Well, the Office of Federal Operations pretty much mirrors what happens on the private sector side, except it's for federal agencies, federal employees, and persons who actually apply for opportunities within the federal government. So Office of Federal Operations has a appellate review program. Let me back up first by saying the commission has two main initiatives, enforcement as well as proactive prevention. Right. So our appellate review program side is the enforcement side of the house. So if a federal employee or an applicant files a complaint of discrimination, what happens is the complaint will first begin within that person's agency, their own EEO office, and it goes through a process. And if the decision ends up being appealed because either the agency is not satisfied with the outcome or the complaint is not satisfied, it'll end up in our appellate review programs and they will look at it and issue a decision. We have a division that handles our oversight federal sector programs. It's all about the proactive prevention, providing technical assistance and really supporting agencies in creating a model EEO program.
4: And I want to come back after our break and, and pick up right there because I want to talk about you know what your responsibility is to ensure that the rest of the federal government um, is following that that model program. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with Patricia St. Clair from the EOC's Office of Federal Operations. We'll continue our discussion with Patricia after this break. And a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti and I'm talking with Patricia St. Clair from the EEOC's Office of Federal Operations. And we're going to be talking about the EEOC's uh, upcoming training conference for executive leaders uh, in the EEO community. Um, but I wanted to get some more background for our listeners on the you know, or particularly our listeners in the EEO community um, at the different federal agencies, what the Office of um, Federal Operations um, does. When, before we took the break, Patricia, you were talking about, um, I guess, what we would call the outreach um, programmatic role of, of OFO um, in you know, establishing what we call a model EEO program. We always say right, the yep. federal government's the model employer.
5: Or we try to be. Yeah, right. Well, we do. <laughs> yes, we, we do. We, do. We, do.
4: we don't always get it right. But we, <laughs> yeah. I have this motto. I have my trust and confidence in the mm-hmm. government to get it right. It may yes. not happen right away, but it usually happens, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. But tell us about that. I guess what I call a regulatory or an oversight role. I mean, are you? are right. you, are you approving federal the the EEO the various EEO offices and other agencies how you help them administer carry out you know their their important functions
5: right we have a wide variety of support we offer federal agencies technical assistance being one of the key supports that we provide agencies we will meet with them upon reviewing their what we call their affirmative employment programs their Form 462 reports. So federal agencies will report into the commission their attempt to establish a model EEO program. We'll review the data that they provide us and meet with the agencies and really look for areas of opportunity where they can further grow and develop their programs and what are some of the best practices that we're seeing across federal agencies that we could provide the agencies and give them a lot of feedback and support we also have a lot of outreach and training opportunities we provide to federal agencies that is really twofold in nature our outreach and education opportunities that we provide federal agencies are at no cost so these are the lunch and learn series that we offer they are the different conferences that we'll attend and we'll have booths and we're giving out information about the work of the commission And recently, we really started looking for opportunities to leverage technology to provide information to stakeholders. On our EEOC YouTube channel, we have a video out there, a video series that explains the complaint process.
4: Wait, EEOC is on YouTube? Yeah, we have an EEOC YouTube (laughs) YouTube channel. channel.
5: (laughs) Yes, we do, and we are growing the different videos. We have a unlawful workplace harassment video we just released. And by the end of the fiscal year, we'll have a video on retaliation and workplace retaliation, how to prevent it.
4: Uh, let me ask one quick question about, you know, I know uh, we won't get into all the various laws, No Fear Act, you right. mentioned the section reporting and all that, but all this data comes in. Um, and I know there's some, you know, c- you know, you have statutory authority to do with that certain data, but um, do you, are you? Does the does your office put out any reports? You know, is there any? Yes. You know, do we use data? Because we'll be talking later about one of the the right. courses you're going to have your conference about how to interpret and use data data visualization. But what do you all do with all that data? Are we you know are, are we putting it to good use?
0: Uh,
5: yes, we most certainly are. We have a division specifically responsible for looking at our data, our reports and evaluation division that's staffed by social scientists, researchers who are PhDs. So they are looking at all of the data for trends as it relates to what are the issues that we see percolating within the federal government How are we addressing those issues? They're pulling the no fear data, the complaints data, our Form 462 data, and really looking for government-wide trends that we see within the workforce. Retaliation, hostile work environment. What are some of the bigger issues across the federal government that employees are filing complaints about or that we're seeing appeals that they're percolating.
4: Do you see? Do uh, let me just. I just have one quick question about the data, and we'll jump into jump into the conference. I know you mentioned um, that, that um, harassment or hostile work environment is is the leader um, in the clubhouse with filing claims. Yeah. Um, but what about findings of discrimination? You know, where you're seeing you know any trend there? I, I'll tell you what. What I personally I think on two on two levels you see an increase. One is retaliation. Yep. And one is age. And and. And my reasoning is retaliation. Nobody wants to believe, you know, that, you know, that I would take an action against you because you're African-American or because you're a woman, you know. But a lot of people can believe that I'm upset that you filed a complaint against me, you know, or that you testified against me, you know, at a hearing. You know, it just sort of makes that makes that easier to prove. And on the age level, I just think it's it's almost socially acceptable to make age-related comments in the workplace.
5: No, it's not socially acceptable. Well, the commission says it's not socially acceptable. You're an old dog, you know, things like
4: that. You hear that all the time.
5: Yeah, and we really work to educate folks uh, in the workforce that, yeah, those comments are really not appropriate in the workplace. And if they happen, then, yeah, we might end up with a smoking gun kind of case with any complaints of um, age discrimination that we may see. Retaliation... What I will say, what the data has shown, if there is a finding of discrimination, more often than not, retaliation will be one of the bases that we will see, right. because managers may not know how to appropriately respond when right. they learn that there is, in fact, an allegation of discrimination, that you've been accused of violating an EEO law. Right. So right. what we always say to managers is, you know, don't shift gears and you don't want to all of a sudden an employee who you were granting leave to, all of a sudden they're not being granted leave. Right. And it's right after you learned the complaint was filed.
4: Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into your executive leadership development training um, that is going to be here in D.C. in September 19th and 20th. Um, this is the fourth year, I think, you did it. Um, you started back in 2011. Um, so there's a lot of um, training out there you know, in the government. Um tell us why, you know, this is different, why, you know, you know, what this sort of training is all about and why it's important for EEO professionals to to think about attending this course.
5: Okay. This is going to be an amazing two day training program, specifically geared for EEO and DNI professionals. It really the classes that we've selected and the course offerings Really speaks to the leadership competencies that EEO and DI professionals will use in the workplace and will need to further hone as they grow and develop as leaders in the workplace. So it's a combination of soft skill classes as well as classes that may be more practical, such as data and budget visualization and things of that nature. So I will say for EEO, Folks, many times you can find the class that addresses the technical skills, what you need to do to write an effective report of investigation or write an appeal decision or issue a a counseling report. But when it comes to what are the true leadership skills the EEO professionals need, when we looked out there, we didn't find a program that really spoke to that, which is how this executive leadership conference came into being.
4: Right. And and you you talk about, you know, while there are plenty of leadership programs out there that have, you know, what you called soft and hard skills and and, and different things like that. What I think is important to emphasize, um, you know, you know, every kind of directorate in every agency you know, has different challenges and obstacles um, right. to deal with. You know, you know they're enforcing a set, you know different set of laws. So it's, you know, I think the one of the ideas behind um, the conference is you know pulling all these people together, ta- right. tailoring the training to deal with what their challenges are. Exactly. You know, what can make them better and how they're managing the office. And then, and then it's really hopefully going to be a very dynamic and interactive you know, two day training where, where, where EEO directors and managers can share their successes, you know, right. you know, where they believe they failed, you know, or, or their challenges, you know, for exactly. lack
1: of a
5: better word. And I'll say that leads us into our theme of transition, because this is a year that we all know is going to be a year of transition. And our theme really took that into consideration with coming up with some of the different topics that we have So with this conference, EEO leaders and DNI leaders will get together and have an opportunity to not only share what their experiences are currently, but how do you go about transitioning with a new administration coming on board?
4: Right. And I think it's something, you know, that, you know, having myself, when I worked in the federal government, work through a transition, um, you know, it's something that, you know, employees, offices, spend a lot of um, emotional energy on, you know, know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, there's there's a lot of angst. Um, And you
5: know, leaders transfer that onto their employees, whether they realize it or not. So as leaders, we want to be able to figure out how do you successfully manage transition? How do you prepare your team for the transition? And what message do you want to be able to communicate when new leadership does come on board?
4: absolutely you know absolutely right like that's that's a great point and a lot of leaders mm-hmm. don't realize that you know see my employees tell me that all the time when you're miserable we're miserable uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> when you're yeah. stressed you're stressing us out yeah. you know but it's it's you know to be aware of, of stuff like that and, and and to take steps to you know kind of you know level how everything's everything's playing let me just get out some some basic information um the conference, as I mentioned, is here in Washington D.C. on September 19th and 20th um, at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown D.C. It's the uh, New City Center over there by the Verizon Center. Um, the early bird, which is until August 12th, is 6.95, and then thereafter, up until the day of conference, it's it's going to be 7.50. Um, to get more information and get yourself enrolled, you can go to the website, which is EEOC Leadership Conference.com. That's EEOC Leadership Conference.com. The phone number is 202 331 0004. And just again, echo what Patricia said you know, this, this, we're looking uh, for senior. EEO professionals in the federal, and I should mention state and local governments oh, yes. are, are are encouraged to attend. You know, you deal with the same issues on a state and local level that these, these federal folks um, are dealing with. Um, and we're also hoping to attract uh, HR executives, you know, who are responsible for enforcing and working with some of the, the similar programmatic responsibilities, you know, as well as a diversity and inclusion officers that, that every agency, um, has really anybody who's responsible for managing and implementing an EEO program is, is encouraged to, to attend. Um, I want to get into, um, the, the workshop lineup that we have, we've got a really exciting list of workshops, but I'm going to stop here for our second break. Um, and when we come back, we'll be joined by one of our presenters, what I call one of our keynote presenters, renowned trainer and author Jones Laughlin. So we're going to stop here and hear a word from our
3: sponsor. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message.
4: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti and I've been talking with Patricia Saint-Clair from the EOC's Office of Federal Operations about their upcoming training conference for executive leaders in the federal EEO community. And at this time, I'm delighted to invite on our show one of our plenary speakers for the conference, renowned speaker and author Jones Laughlin, who's graciously has agreed to take some time away from vacation at the beach with his family and join us. Jones, good morning. Thanks for spending some time with us.
6: Oh, what an honor, Tony. I've been enjoyable listening to a little bit more about the conference and all the things that will be offered there, so delighted to be with you this morning.
4: Let me just tell our listeners a, a little bit um, about you who, who may be unfamiliar. Um, Jones has made it his life's work to deliver powerful ideas and practical solutions to individuals around the world so that they can achieve more of what is important to them. His books whether we are talking about the fame juggling elephants or getting to the blue ribbon are described as illuminating and his presentations as unforgettable. In his 20 years as a speaker and trainer, he has helped countless people regain confidence in their ability to achieve greater success in work and life. So, Jones, before we get into your latest, um, your latest project, Always Growing, um, that you're going to present for us um, next month, you know, I have to ask, you know, having read both of those books I mentioned, Juggling Elephants and Getting to the Blue Ribbon, you know, where do you and looking a little bit about what you have going with always growing, you know, where do you come up with your themes? You know, your your how to represent your messages. I mean, did you did you once work for a circus? did you did you never get a blue <laughs> ribbon as a child? Did you want to be a farmer? What, what gives? yeah really
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, That's great, Tony thanks. Uh, you know it they come from a variety of sources. Uh, usually you know life experiences uh, are are always one place, but the the whole idea behind the juggling elephants and the circus uh, metaphor, if you will, came from just a conversation I was having with someone about how busy their life was, and uh, he and I were talking, and he said, you know, am I just supposed to run around like my life's some kind of circus? I said, wait a minute! I said, hold that song. And <laughs> there's so an we idea. Have, yeah, there's an idea. So we didn't do it on a napkin, but we did do it on 8, half by 11 blank sheet of paper, and so we started drawing out, you know, what would the rings be, and some different elements like that. With uh, getting the blue ribbon and even to, with always growing, uh, my background comes from uh, horticulture uh, I used to be a horticulture instructor and have always had a passion for uh, seeing things grow. And um, so that's the emphasis for that. But from a larger standpoint, the idea was, you know, what are those universal concepts or principles that can be presented in a fresh way, whether it's, you know, giving the the, the analogy of a circus or whether someone's growing award-winning apples, but just giving people strong visuals and a simple uh, mental blueprint uh, from which to improve, whether it's work-life satisfaction or leadership.
4: So um, before we get into the specifics of, of you know, always growing, um, I I, kind of, I want to talk about, I mean, more like the juggling elephants and, and uh, the other course you're going to present for us about, uh, you know, productivity and, and workplace management is kind of, I was reading this material um, yesterday getting ready for the show. I kept thinking, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's, I, and I, I had this saying, you know, it, you know, I've read your books. You know, and, and I'm and I'm right. I know what you're supposed to do. You know, you plan. You you know, and I just always find you know, there's there's an email I can take care of. There's something I can do, and I just feel like I'm I'm allowing other people to to co-op my time
6: always. <laughs> right, right, and and you're alone in that, Tony, because nobody else faces that. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what what's interesting about what you just said is that. Uh, One of the concepts I've been teaching a lot lately because it's become so common in our uh, workplaces is this whole idea of completion bias, that we have this, this desire. We're hardwired to get stuff done, which sounds good. The only problem is our brain wants us to get stuff done quickly. And so if you're looking at your list of 37 things, And you start looking at your items and you start picking off the ones that are easy and you get that done. You go, wow, I got that done. Endorphins go off in your head, but you really haven't moved anything forward. You haven't grown your team. You haven't accomplished the difficult task. And so when you've got a choice between checking your email and working on this, this assignment, this project, this budget, then your mind means, Oh, go check your email. Because when you're done with that, you go, yes, I finished something. And so it's, and with all the distractions we have, both physical, mental, emotional, electronic, um, it's, it, it really is almost like a war zone trying to get things done of value so we can move our organizations forward.
4: Yeah, and I t- obviously technology has contributed to that. I was I was on the way to the show. I was just talking to somebody, a colleague of mine. who says, "Oh, my, my internet's down." I said, "You know, I long for the days when there was no internet. Sometimes you yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't have that." Um, so tell us about um, Always Growing.
6: Sure. Always Growing, uh, pardon the pun, grow, or grew out of my, uh, my passion around seeing people build capacity in themselves and in others uh, through their leadership position. Um, you know, it's so easy for leaders today to get caught up in activity, just like you said, Tony, with uh, all the expectations, with electronic distractions, um, to really focus on just trying to stay at the status quo, well, what, what suffers then is the development of their people. And, and we know that the most effective leaders are those ones who can help their team members to deliver their best work. So always growing builds around the idea that uh, just like growing plants, you need to grow your people, you need to grow yourself. And so we use the, the the analogy of how do you grow a successful plants, in applying it to how do we grow capacity in ourselves and grow capacity in other people.
4: Does it? Because you know, like all these ideas are great. Like I said, I read your books, and it's just like you know, any business idea, any kind of idea. It's the rubber's got to hit the road. It's got to be yes. you know, it's got to be implemented. Um, you know, it, you know, it's a it's a great idea. The message makes sense. You know, I agree with it. You know, but what kind of practical tools do you, you give people to actually implement? Sure.
6: One of the practical tools is really a question. In fact, I start this off with a lot of my presentations. I start off with a question. I say, in your struggle to get all done, what's not getting done or getting done well? And you'll see people start nodding their head going, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. But, yeah, there's just some things I'm not getting to. So so in answer to your question, one of the practical tools I give people is, you know, you've got to make yourself uncomfortable. You've got to acknowledge something that's not happening that's really important to you. And, and you know, we we got to remember those days when we go home and we'll say, I was so busy today, but I don't feel like I accomplished anything of value. And and so I think one of the practical tools I give people is that is making them uncomfortable, making them really stop and look at how things are going. We're just so busy that we don't even take the chance to reflect on how well we're doing as a leader, how much we're uh, you know actually moving forward towards our goals and objectives. Uh, another tool that I, that I always try to give people is developing a sensible vision, uh, an idea I first learned from Dr. Spencer Johnson when I, I worked with him uh, at his great organization, Who Moved My Cheese? Dr. Johnson said. You know, if you want to see people implement change, they've got to have a sensible vision. It's got to make sense to them. And, and so helping people really get granular and say, okay, if you're successful, what are you going to see? What are you going to hear? And just making it real to them. Um, and then I think the other tool that, that I try to offer people is understanding the need to, to celebrate incremental growth uh, and small successes and not just always trying to look so far out because that can get overwhelming. But if we can break it down for ourselves and others, so that each day we say, "Okay, here's how I made progress towards this outcome or that outcome," then it gives us that motivation, that completion, uh, that our mind goes, "Yes, you moved forward today uh, toward what's important."
4: I mean, one of the things you know I, I like about um, you know reading a little bit about always growing is it—it it seems to, at least the way my brain works, it has a. a, a I'm able to visualize it, and, and it's sort of a methodical approach to it. You know, the the grow, the cultivate, the prune, the harvest, and it's and at least in my mind, I can sort of break up, you know, the what I'm trying to accomplish, you know, in you know in those different areas. You know, is that part of the idea to have this kind of more of a methodical, you know, approach to how you handle these things, as opposed to just go do this is how you have to do it. <laughs>
6: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, Tony, you you said that so well. In fact, I'm glad we're recording the show
3: because uh, <laughs> I'll
6: have to go back and grab that. Um... But, uh, you know, it is, it's exactly what you're saying. It is a methodical approach because so often it can seem overwhelming to how do we grow ourselves? How do we grow our people? So yeah, there's four key things that you got to do. And in fact, um, in, in the presentation, when I'm working with groups, I'll, I'll find a, a good gardener in the group and I'll say, okay, Tony, what have you got to do if you want to grow fantastic tomato plants? And, and, you know, Tony will list off a lot of the key things you got to do. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at what that looks like in your world as a leader when you're attempting to uh, develop your people so yeah it is a strong visual and it is very methodical and then if things aren't working then you refer back to the process you know if, if you say okay i don't provide the right environment I, i'm I, you know, i'm looking at my processes i'm giving people the resources they need we've made it a priority which are all the things that help a plant to grow but things just aren't happening then maybe one of the challenges is you need to do some pruning you know you've got so much going on you got people running in a thousand different directions how are they supposed to do well at anything if their their time and energy is spread across so many different um, areas of priority,
4: you see, I would say, isn't isn't pruning is that something I could pay somebody to do for me? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah mm. and, and you know, I guess that would that would be right. consultants, you know, uh, you, in 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 the uh, in, uh, um, employed for a while.
4: You said yeah. trying to find the, the the person in the audience is a good gardener. That that wouldn't mm. be me because the only dirt I ever see is on the first tee of my favorite golf course when I shank it. Oh.
6: <laughs> That's hilarious, and and you know, and, and I love to hear, I love to hear that even in the presentation, we'll have people say that you know, there's this one great moment that we have a lot of times, you know, when people talk about, oh, I kill my plants, some, some, and I'll raise, and I'll ask the group, I say, how many of you have heard that it helps your plants to grow if you talk to them. And you'll see a lot of people raise their hand. And, and I'll say, well, why is that? You know, And then you'll get some academic in the room, pardon me, but you'll get some academic in the room who will go, well, it's because you're giving the plant you know, oxygen or you know, <laughs> carbon dioxide that it needs. Photosynthesis. So <laughs> yeah, photosynthesis. And the answer is none of that. The reason a plant does better if you talk to it is because you're noticing it. You're paying attention. Oh, it needs water. Oh, its leaves are yellow. Uh, same thing is true in leadership. How do you help your people grow? One of the ways is you talk with them, you communicate with them, you pay attention to them, you see how they're doing. But sometimes we're just so busy as leaders, we're just so focused on getting our own work done, we're not paying attention to how other people are doing and how we could help them do better.
4: How do you get people to identify, you know, that there is indeed a problem that they should change their, their approach to how they do things? Cause all these people, um, you know, or have been very successful in their careers, you know, you know, I myself will rationalize it in my head. It says, look, this is what has gotten me to where I'm at. It's how I cope with my ADD. You know, I, I <laughs> compartmentalize things that way and you have people, you know, you know, Am I going to be as successful? You know, when I, you know, when I do things, you know, you know, a different way.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the ways that I that I that I do that is to, is to help people really start looking more toward the future. In fact, there's three questions that I ask them uh, near the beginning of of the presentation, and the three questions are: first of all, what do you know that tells you that? you need to continue to grow as a leader and that means what are the facts, the figures, the statistics, the data that tells you you need to continue to improve your leadership skills. Um, I just got off the phone a little while ago with someone, a uh, leader at NASA, and you know he's talking about you know Jones we, we're going into continuing resolution now because of the uncertainty related to you know the the presidential election and he said know we we're just we're kind of there right now he says I've got to figure out how to get more out of my people if I don't know what my budget is going to be next year you know that's a fact that's something we know the second question is what do you think you know you know you especially at this conference having worked with them before i love the 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 wisdom and experience that these people have um, and they know what's going to be happening but sometimes they just have to stop and go you know what this is what i think i'm seeing this is what i think is going to happen and other people around the room begin to talk about that as well and so that's an indicator to them that maintaining the status quo is not going to be effective. the final question is what do you not know what are the unknowns that, that you have been thinking about to so say, you know what, I need to find some answers for those. And I need to be prepared for the unknown as much as possible. So again, I think it goes back to making um, individuals somewhat uncomfortable with where they are. So they start looking for a better way. And then the better way that we unfold to them, of course, is this process called always growing.
4: It's funny. It took me years to figure out. I didn't know everything.
6: <laughs> and, then, and Then once I did,
4: I finally I finally arrived. <laughs> exactly.
6: Oh, it's a much better world then. Reminds
4: me of law school second semester. Somebody got asked a question, you know, Socratic method. He said, "I didn't know." And I'm like, "Shoot, I didn't know that was an option. I haven't known all year, and I've been answering." <laughs> but <laughs> but perfect. I'll tell you, that's the one good thing about the 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 audience for this conference is they're there um, to learn. They're smart yeah. enough to know that they don't know everything. Yeah. Um, you know, they they're, they're smart enough to know that there can always be a different way to do something. You know, there can always be you know a better, more efficient way, um, and that's one of the things I like about because they'll you know they'll collaborate with one another. You know, while they're going through the instructional message.
6: Exactly. I think that's just so key to the process. Uh, interaction is is so important because. For example, you mentioned pruning a little while ago. I, one of the things that I will, you know, do in these presentations is ask people, you know, where could you delegate, transfer, or automate something to free up about 30 minutes a week for you? And they actually work through that process. And it's interesting as they share those, you'll hear people across the table go, "You know what? I hadn't thought of that. I could you know, delegate that to this person, or I hadn't heard of that that solution to automate that process." um so you're exactly right collaboration at these types of conferences
4: yeah are critical. and then that's good because i think because a lot of these people you know are you know these executives are type a control freaks and you know one of the <laughs> things i say all the time like you know i am one of those and i had something going on in my business where i had to give up some responsibilities and it turned out everything was just fine and that was the sort of best thing that happened to me so if they can hear that from one another you know yeah. i gave this up i gave th- you know i re you know, I, you know, I repurposed this, I got some other people involved in this, and it seemed to work out great. Oh,
6: absolutely. Yes, that's exactly right.
4: So we're going to have to stop here for our third break uh, to hear a word from our sponsor, Federal Long-Term Care Partners. And unfortunately, we'll also say goodbye to Jones. Jones, thanks so much for spending some time with us. I'll let you get back to your family and the beach there.
6: Well, just thank you, Tony, so much for the opportunity. And I look forward to that event in September.
4: Yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion about EEOC's training conference for executive leaders in the federal sector EEO community. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio,
3: 1500 AM.
4: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering our last segment of the show. Uh, we were just talking to—we're um, talking about the the EEOC leadership conference that's upcoming here in Washington D.C., September 19th and 20th um, at the at the Renaissance Hotel in, in downtown D.C. Um, and we're just speaking with one of our presenters. Um, Mr. Funny himself, Jones, Jones Laughlin. Um, and if you haven't seen Jones perform, you know he, he really is really is an exceptional um, uh, presenter, and, and really keeps everybody engaged. Um, and it's just a, a wonderful um, presentation. Uh, during the break, Patricia um, reminded me of something. We want to let all of our listeners know who are thinking about, um, you know, enrolling in the conference. Um, information you may need to get approval. Um, we have a training justification letter on the website that you can download PDF to use. Um, the website, again, is eocleadershipconference.com. If you want us to just email you a hard copy, just give us a call at 202-331-0004. It's 202-331-0004. So, Patricia, we were talking about uh, two of the courses that we have um, for the for the training conference, uh, the always growing and the productivity and workplace management. Tell us a little bit more about what else we have in the lineup.
5: Okay. I'll tell you the data visualization course I think is going to be pretty exciting. Over the last couple of years, we always hear a lot about big data and what should we do with data and how do you handle Google Analytics. And for a lot of EO and DI leaders, this may be a new concept or a concept they're not necessarily wholly comfortable with or familiar with. So the data class is designed to actually get folks familiar with how do you use the data that you have. And folks at EEO and D&I have quite a bit of data at their fingertips with the reports that they put together, their affirmative employment reports, the no fear data, their Form 462 complaint reports. So as you look at all of these numbers, what do they mean? So this class is going to help them figure out how to use this data to tell a story about what's going on within their own organizations, whether it's to get resources or to figure out what particular issues to attack or what kind of training or outreach initiatives that they need internally. So that's going to be a class that I'm pretty excited about.
4: Yeah. And that's something that you and I, or you have talked to me about that you think is really important. Um, for these, for the the EEO um, offices, you know, particularly consistent with our theme, and in, in times of administration changes and transition, you know, this is an opportunity for you to present the data in a light most favorable right. to you you know be your own cheerleader you've got new leaders coming in there are mm-hmm. preconceived notions about what goes on in your office right exactly. you know people view you often as 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 a barrier not mission essential right. you know this is uh, this is your time and it's important for you to use the data you know don't just listen you know to me you know the lawyer talking mm-hmm. the EO mm-hmm. professional talking this is what the data says embrace the data
5: Exactly. And the data will allow you to say, okay, this is what's going on. And really think about how you want to market your particular EEO office. And with marketing, let me just mention the budget class we also have as well. With a new administration coming in, budget justification is key and it's critical. So while many folks may not enjoy budget, this is a class that will at least get you more comfortable with budget and thinking about how do you make those justification and arguments. One question we do get a lot from EEO leaders is how do we gain more resources or how do I know I have sufficient staffing and funding? Or they'll say, I need more sufficient staffing and funding. So with these two classes, you think about the data class and the budget class and being able to really use that information and pull it together to pinpoint what's going on within your office.
4: Right. And then both of those, you know, you talked about soft skills, hard skills, you know, I would see as, as hard scales. And and if you're like me, you hear budget one on one data visualization. <laughs> and, you know, I got major math phobia. You know, you start glossing, you know, that's yes. going to be painful. But you really, you really have to appreciate, you know, how, you know, you know, how important um, how important that stuff is. Um, you know, I, I did a radio show here a couple months ago about data in the federal government, about the government performance and results at GIPRA and, right. and the importance of all that stuff, you know, and I called it, if you're use a baseball analogy, you know, I call it money ball, you know, for the okay. federal government, you know, but that's, it's, it's important. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're able to use those statistics you know, and, and to use, you know, the data, you know, to really present your office in light in light most favorable. And the thing about, we mentioned the budget course, um, the budget, you know, 101. And, you know, we're not handing you a calculus book or anything right. here. You know, this is just, you know, this is just about things that you, you need to know. And it's funny, we talk about administration. I was explaining to our budget um, instructor, um, who's a former um, budget director at HUD, you know, about We've got the new administration coming in, so we want to like focus it that way. And the first thing she said to me, Oh, the first
2: mm-hmm. thing
4: that's gonna happen is they're gonna throw your budget out. Okay. You know, so you know, be prepared to do a second budget. And that you may put some mm-hmm. thought into not how you do the first budget, you know, and what's gonna be, you know, what's gonna be the next budget the second time around.
5: Oh, that is definitely right? good to know. Mm-hmm.
4: Which um, is a good segue into one of our other courses that I'm particularly um, excited about. Um, what every executive needs to know during a time of government transition. Um we're gonna have Arnold Heyman who used to be many years in the general counsel's office with USAID, have been through several administration changes. Um, and he's gonna, you know, tell us about what executives, you know, need to be worried or, or concerned about.
5: And they're also supposed to be Focused tabletop exercises, and I think that should be pretty interesting in terms of how to work with political appointees. So there'll be some real hands-on exercises that'll give you an opportunity to practice, I guess, your two-minute elevator speech when you bump into the head of the organization.
4: Well, <laughs> and, and everybody shies from that. Yeah. And one of the things that, that the course, I think, will teach is you should embrace that you know this is the time for you to showcase what your office is all about first impressions right. it's that essentially like a new it's it's a job interview you know yes, it could it be is. you know and and you know it's it's a huge change you I mean, you you're, you're, you're used to working with all these political leaders you know that are going out you know and then you have a whole new group you know coming in you know all wide eyed ready to take on the world you know they've got all their new policy initiatives that they want to implement some of them have been in the government before some of them have not you know you're going to really you know need to need to really be on your game um and one of the things you know that i thought was interesting um that you know they they deal with is they really teach you i think how to how to engage with the with the political leaders you know you know understand you know what their role is coming into the agency, um, and they also teach you. You know, people don't think about is you know how to deal with the political leaders that are leaving.
5: Oh yes, yeah, because you know you you have a mm-hmm. lot of
4: you're going to have a lot of those issues from now until until the election that that you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with. You know, just some of the you know the points that you may not you may not think about. You know. As I mentioned, you know, just going through the the highlights of the course here, you know, first of all, you have to accept that there's going to be change. Exactly. It's not going to be it's not going to be business as usual. Um, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about off, offline is under the Obama administration, diversity and inclusion, you know, it was such a huge focus. You know, right. and you know, you know, is that going to be the same? Exactly. Because you know, there's, the new-
5: there's an executive order attached to the diversity and inclusion initiative. And that really pushed federal agencies to think about how are persons not only being added onto the agency, is are, is there diversity in the agency, but how are folks being included and at what are the different levels of inclusion?
4: You know, and then there's other just what I call practical skills. You know, how do you deal with holdover political appointees? You know, people who may be trying to burrow oh, yes. in. And That's then what true. and then you see I see this a lot, you know, if a former political appointee contacts you, you know, what are the, what are the roles there and responsibilities? So let's quickly uh, jump there. Our last class, um, last but not least, um, I want to talk about um, is one that Skillpath is going to put on for us about embracing change. You know, we know, we know change is coming. um, So, you know, I think this is going to be an important course for our our folks.
5: Uh, Definitely. Especially when you think about understanding change and it'll support the... Other course that we just talked about, what every executive needs to know. Because you've got to embrace the change first and really be open minded to change coming before you could even open your mouth to speak to the new political appointee.
4: Right. (laughs) Right. You have to understand the change coming. You understand Mm -hmm. all the human response to change. And I think Jones, you know, talked about that a little bit, you know, about you know how that gets projected onto your employees, you know, and then you sort of need to have a plan you know, with how you're going to, you know, deal with it, you know, in, in, in the office.
5: And what you can do and how are you going to stay productive? Are you completing initiatives? And, and really think about what direction your organization, your division is moving in as you're waiting for this change.
4: So that's all the time we have for the show. Um, Patricia, thanks so much for spending some time with us today to showcase, showcase the conference that's upcoming here in Washington, D.C., Later in September, September 19th and 20th. And we also want to thank Jones Laughlin for calling in earlier. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys as Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend.
5: Thanks.
7: WFED Washington, WWWTFM HD2 Manassas, WTLP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick, FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500AM, the only fully integrated digital news organization in the world dedicated to serving the federal executive and government contractor. Federal News Radio is the key source of breaking news and information for the people who support the missions of federal agencies. Our coverage is nonpartisan and nonpolitical and helps executives make better decisions about issues affecting their agencies and companies. Weekdays from 6AM to 7PM, we interview agency managers, contractors, and policymakers about the federal topics most important to you. We report on the Department of Defense, information technology, management, and acquisition practices, pay benefits and workforce issues, and congressional oversight and appropriations. Nights and weekends here at the George Washington Colonials, American University Eagles, and the Navy Midshipmen on the Washington, D.C., home of Navy Athletics. Follow us throughout the day on Facebook.com slash Federal News Radio, and on Twitter at Fed News Radio, FederalNewsRadio.com, and 1500 AM. AP Radio News.